0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers fell to the Steelers. That's a true thing to say and something that feels like it almost doesn't matter anymore. What do we take away from this game? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Muirdink, and I am, as always, happy to be with you here for another episode. Our premise for the last few weeks has been that this is basically preseason football. We've talked about that at length. It seems fairly obvious though not mathematically certain yet that the packers are not going to make a run that sends them to the playoffs this year they are just too deep in a hole at this point they're just too inconsistent on offense and on defense to make that a realistic thing we i think everybody either has accepted that already or subconsciously knows it and is just you know publicly clinging to some sort of performative hope that they're going to make a run. With that perspective as the basis for this game, we have to ask ourselves one key question, I think. How did the Packers do building on performances and trends from the last few weeks? Our preview episode for this game talked about a few different areas that the Packers could build on, a few different areas where the Packers could stack success. We talked about the player level, the unit level, and the overall team trend level. How did they do? I think that's how we have to start with this game. Packers lost by the way, 20 to or 23 to 19. Enough that they they needed a touchdown at the end and could not get it. That is those are the base facts. A block PAT, which we'll talk about a little bit later made it such that the Packers had to drive for a touchdown at the very end, and they nearly did it. They had a shot to put the ball in the end zone up to the very end of the game. But that almost, like I said, is beside the point at this point. So how did the Packers do on building on those performances we've talked about? Just for simplifying our discussion, let's go ahead and throw out Sean Ryan and Robert Rochelle. I do want to talk about Sean Ryan, but that's going to be at the very end of the podcast. We didn't see much of them. Ryan actually didn't play. He was up for this game. He was he was active, but he was one of two Packers players that didn't make it into the game along with Sean Clifford. Rochelle did play and did make it into the game. I didn't see him out there on defense, or at least not in a way that... that you know, caught my attention. Presumably he played, if he did, on special teams. So among the players that we talked about, we've got Jordan Love and Christian Watson to really expand upon where we were in the preview. Jordan Love, generally speaking, it felt like this was a good-ish game. The ending turns out to be pretty bad, but prior to those two crucial interceptions, it felt like, generally speaking, the incompletions weren't his fault. We had some drop issues. Christian Watson had at least one on a third and nine play. Dontavion Wicks had one that would have been a tough catch, uh, but one that he he probably should have made. Things in that sort of vein. Um generally speaking, it seemed like the offense seems to be more cut loose, which seems to be in favor of Love Skills at this point. There is, of course, the ending here. And leaving that ending where saying, you know, other than the end, it was pretty good. It feels like the very definition of the the aside from that Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play joke? Because the two red zone picks is pretty, pretty bad. The Christian Watson one you can describe, and I think accurately describe it as a contested catch, one where Watson at least theoretically had a shot. I think the inclination is going to be to blame Watson more for that play than he probably deserves. I do think he deserves part of the blame for it, and I think it's okay to grade him harshly for that. To this point in the season, Watson, I think, has used up any benefit of the doubt that he has ever deserved on contested catches. Still, this one in particular looked like it was more Love's fault than it was Watson's fault. I think we can probably agree on that. Maybe you don't, but I think reasonable people would probably at least say there's at least some blame on both sides there. Love's throw, on that one at least, was floaty and not delivered to where it needed to be in the way that so many of his deep intermediate to deep throws are. It was deflected, ended up in the hands of an opposing defender as deflections so often in the end zone are, and that basically ended one of the Packers' last best shots at taking a lead. Then you've got the game-ending interception. It's tough to tell from the broadcast copy. I've gone back and looked at it a couple times, The play did not look great live, and it's really tough to decide what they're trying to do there. You had three receivers to the right of the formation. Uh, Luke Musgrave was the three, so the furthest to the inside. Christian Watson was the middle guy. It seems like Love was trying to target Watson there. It's tough to tell exactly because of where the ball was delivered, the coverage that you can see on the broadcast angle. It was not... It didn't look like a play that gave the Packers a lot of chances there. And the way it was thrown, there was really no shot for a Packers player to come down with it. It is what it is. It was another. It was an interception in the red zone, and there have been a fair number of those this season. So you've got some good and bad for Jordan Love. Christian Watson, you had the one drop that we talked about. We had the end zone play that he, I think, is at least partially responsible for. All in all, it adds up to a day where he was targeted seven times, had two catches for 23 yards. If last week was a success for him to build on, you may not agree that it was, but he at least had one big play, I would say that he failed to build on that this week and was given more than a few opportunities. As a unit, though, and the two units we wanted to look at heading into this game were wide receivers and defensive backs, as a unit, I think the wide receivers did fairly well. Call it pass catchers overall, you know, tight ends and wide receivers, and I think it was an overall good game with one fairly large caveat. The good is Jaden Reed, Dontavion Wicks, and Luke Musgrave. All were active and involved and important, the bad, the caveat was Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. Now, Dobbs did have a a nice touchdown, not taking anything away there. But the overall effort for Dobbs and Watson, 12 targets, 5 catches, 54 yards, 1 touchdown. You also have some pretty suspect blocking, I think, from Romeo Dobbs on a couple screen passes. There's one screen pass that I don't think really ended up being his fault. It was he and Jaden Reed to the left side. Reed had a situation, it was a third and two as well, or, or third and relatively short, they ran a screen to that side with Reed. Dobbs was supposed to block. Jordan Love did not deliver a very good ball there. That's something he seems to struggle with, particularly throwing to the left. Uh, but Reed was ma- able to make the first down, but with very little help from Dobbs. However, if the ball had del- been delivered where it was supposed to be and Reed didn't have to turn around to catch it, Dobbs blocking probably looks a, bit, a little bit better on that play. So when I want to Add some nuance to any criticism of blocking there, but as a unit, I think the pass catchers and especially the young receivers were pretty good. The defensive backs were another area we wanted to keep an eye on coming into this game, with some questions about Jair Alexander uh, and his availability for the game, which ended up being more or less what we expected. We didn't didn't expect him to play. Rasul Douglas now being in Buffalo, there was last week was a good effort with some of those questions still being in place. I think it was fair to wonder how this week would shape up, and I think overall it looked pretty good. Whatever issues there were in the secondary are more the fault of just being a depleted unit at this point. You don't have your top two guys. Eric Stokes is, well, he's back on injured reserve now. Well, he wasn't on injured reserve. He was on the physically unable to perform list. That's functionally a distinction without difference. He wasn't available. They don't have the guys that they anticipated, or we would have said a year and a half ago would be their top three guys in 2023. Nevertheless, I feel like they did pretty well. Corey Ballantyne, in particular, was repeatedly targeted, but seemed up for the challenge most of the time, and I think the fact that he was targeted so often says something in and of itself about Carrington-Valentine. If you're going after Ballantyne, you're not going after the other guy, which seems to suggest that he's the less vulnerable of the two. Overall, I think a pretty good good afternoon at the office there. Now the trends. Mixed bag here. Let's put it that way. The big trend that we, we highlighted heading into this game was the Packers' run defense. The run defense was bad. It was really bad today. Just some numbers to throw at you. Jalen Warren, 15 carries, 101 yards, one touchdown. Did he really have 15 carries? I got the stats up in, in front of me. Yep, 15 carries. Wow. Indeed. 15 carries, 101 yards, one touchdown, 6.7 yards per carry for Warren. A career-high day for him by 13 yards. His previous career high was just 88. He had 263 career rushing yards, or excuse me, 263 rushing yards this season coming in, 642 career yards, a career day in terms of total yardage by just about any measure for Jalen Warden. Meanwhile, Najee Harris, 15 carries, 82 yards, one touchdown, 5.1 yards per carry, a season high for carries for him. He matches his season high in terms of yards per carry. And this was just the fifth time in his career that he's averaged more than five yards per carry on 15 or more carries. Again, maybe not a career defining day for Harris, but one of the best outings of his career against this Packers defense. Could it have been different with Quay Walker out there? Perhaps, but he wasn't out there. And the Packers got gashed on the ground again, ending a a couple weeks streak where they were pretty good against against the run. Three and out avoidance was the other thing I wanted to keep an eye on coming into this game. The Packers had three three and outs today. Not necessarily progress, but they didn't have any back-to-back at the very least. However, there was one that I thought was quite bad, After a punt return toward the end of the first half, the Packers had a first and 10 from their own 46 with just over three minutes left, three minutes and 12 seconds to be precise. Again, starting on their own 46, great field position. You take up some clock, you can probably score at least a field goal before the end of the half and the Steelers are probably not going to get the ball back. If you get the ball back after the half and the Packers were going to, you can really create some momentum or put some distance between yourself and the Steelers Instead, what do we get? Packers go deep to Romeo Dobbs, incomplete. An overthrow or just a miss or just whatever you call it, it was an incomplete pass. Aaron Jones rushes for six yards and the Packers throw incomplete to Aaron Jones, short to the left. They punt, three and out. That's a pretty costly one, especially given your field position and you're giving the other team a chance to score late in the half. The Steelers didn't. The Packers actually got the ball back, but Deep in their own territory, they elected to just kind of run out the time as much as they could, and they did so and went into the half. So that three and out was particularly bad. They had two other ones. This one hurt the most. So if that's the perspective we come into this game with, if that's what we're looking for or looking at, progress, building on where they were last week, building on things that they've been doing better for some time, how do we rate this game? Is this progress? I want to say yes. I think you do see some progress here. The defense is bad, but the offense the past couple of weeks, and I know the the Rams, you know, the complimentary football aspect there, their offense put their defense in a hole a lot. The Steelers don't have a great defense. They're like 31st in terms of yards allowed. They basically make their living on sacks and turnovers and big plays basically, which is not a super sustainable way to build a defense. Looking at it from that perspective, the Packers haven't faced some juggernauts here. However, just on a vibe check, it feels like the offense is more coherent than it's been at any other point in the season. Love was probably the best today outside of the ending, and I know it's the—we're at Ford's theater there. But it seemed like a pretty good afternoon. It seemed like until they were trying, until they had to force the issue late, they were moving the ball pretty well. They should have had probably more points. There was one throw to Luke Musgrave in the end zone that was not particularly good. It looked like he and Love were not on the same page, but it seems like the offense is coming together in a way that it hadn't been earlier this season. Where it gets tricky for me is a different version of that question. It's not just, is this progress, or are the Packers making progress? It's, are we seeing enough progress? Because that's where this season kind of gets tricky, because the Packers are making decisions about a lot of people going into 2024 based not just on progress, but on how much progress they make. That's where things get tricky, because it feels like moving the goalpost because you don't know exactly where you're supposed to end up given you know, all the variables, injuries, guys not being available due to injuries and the strain that puts on other guys and their progression and stuff like that. For instance, wide receiver, Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson both limited due to injury early in, in the season. If this was a video game, all that means is Jaden Reed and Dontavion Wicks and Luke Musgrave are just going to progress that much faster because they're getting more reps. In real life, that's not always how it works. Sometimes that can actually stunt your project progress because you get more thrown at you that you just can't handle, and it takes you longer to find your feet as a player. So what does progress look like, and what is enough progress? That's not a rhetorical question. I genuinely want to know, what is enough progress? How do you know if you've made enough progress? What is enough I genuinely don't know, and if you have thoughts or answers or whatever about how you would measure that, hit me up. I'm all ears. I'm I'm very interested in this discussion because it's a really important thing. Gaging whether or not you've made enough progress to continue with Jordan Love as your quarterback, with Matt Lafleur as your coach, shoot, let's throw Joe Barry in there as your Joe Barry as your defensive coordinator. Do you feel like his defenses have made progress? despite not having some of your high-end guys available. How much is enough? Is it the same for everybody? Probably not. That seems self-evident, but how would you know? And how do you sort out things like the difference between Matt LaFleur's progress running an offense made up entirely of young players with Jordan Love's progress operating in that same offense as a fourth-year player but first-year starter? who is, I think, an imperfect prospect in in a lot of ways, but has some useful attributes. How do you measure that progress? I don't know. I don't know the answers to these things. But I think the question is important, and it's one we should continue to try to tease out. We talk about good things in every episode. We talk about, well, not every episode, every recap episode. So what were some good things from today? There were some good things. We talked about Jaden Reed. Dontavion Wicks and Luke Musgrave, I wanted to expand on that a little bit. Of those three, all of them seem to have a job, something that they do well. We are finally two big plays today, finally seeing Luke Musgrave use downfield in a way where he's actually getting the ball. Awesome, awesome stuff. Dontavion Wicks is becoming the mid-range assassin that I thought, I think a lot of people believed he could be. He should be getting more reps. And I my best prediction for this year was that by the end of the season, he was going to be the the why isn't so-and-so getting more reps player for this year because there's a guy like that every single season. It was Samori Ture last year, I think, on offense. This year, it's easily Wicks. He's just grown into a role, and it seems like he just gets better every week. And Jaden Reed can just about do it all. Contested stuff is not his forte, but he gives it his all on everything. He gets the ball downfield better than anyone on the roster right now, consistently makes big plays. Seems like he is aggressive with the ball in his hands. He has done just about everything you could ask at this point. Second good thing is that A.J. Dillon genuinely have had a real explosive run today, chugging down the field for 40 yards, a career high on the ground. His previous high was 36 yards. Finally, Corey Ballantyne, we talked about him in the defensive back section a little bit, hung in there despite getting town. Ta- Uh, targeted in some cases like back-to-back snaps, just gave it his all, did what he could. We talk about Rudy Ford emptying the magazine on a weekly basis. Ford may be limited as a player, but he's going to give you everything he's got. Valentine seems a lot, you know, cut from that kind of same cloth. He's not a perfect player. He's not the guy that you would necessarily prefer to have out there, but he's going to give you absolutely everything he's got. Now, the bad stuff. There's plenty of bad in this one, too. The run defense. Belaboring the point here seems, well, pointless, but the results are bad. Whether it's scheme, whether it's players, I don't know whose fault it is. I know that Joe Barry likes going light a lot, and that is not necessarily suited to stopping the run. But I also know that the Packers missed two tackles on Jalen Warren's touchdown run. Joe Barry is not out there filling a gap. Joe Barry is not out there coming downhill from a safety position trying to stop a running back going for six. That's the players. You got to make those tackles, and they have before. Some of them have before. Remember, in 2021, the Packers were one of the best tackling teams in the entire NFL. May have been the best tackling team in the NFL. They just didn't miss tackles, and that was a Joe Barry defense. Did he get worse at coaching tackling, or did the Packers' talent level get worse on defense? think it's probably the second one. Special teams, meanwhile, not so special. Had a couple nice returns from uh, Keyshawn Nixon, to be sure, but the big game-defining play was a blocked extra point that really changed the complexion of the game. Instead of going to tie at the end, the Packers could only go for a win, and they had to go for a win because they were down four instead of being down three. Why were they down four instead of three? Well, Josiah Aguara looked like his controller was unplugged on the point after that got blocked. The Tyler Lancaster play, the exact same sort of play that Tyler Lancaster gave up the block field goal in the playoffs in 2021 against the 49ers that led to the Packers, well, led indirectly or at least in part to the Packers getting bounced from the playoffs that year earlier than, well, everyone assumed that they would or should. It hasn't been super special under Rich Bisaccia. I think it's been more a players than plays thing under his under his tutelage, but remember, the special teams are are young too, though he does have some preferred veterans there. Can't overlook the fact, um, while we're on special teams and just talking about players there, we can't overlook the fact that Rasul Douglas played a ton of special team snaps for the Packers. He was like seventh on the team in special team snaps. He was out there a lot. Uh, He wanted to do it all and did, and ended his time in Green Bay again, having played 100% of the snaps on defense and another like 40% of the snaps Uh, on special teams. Finally, Watson and Dobbs. If you want to boil it down to a quote from Office Space, and why wouldn't you, what would you say you do here, Christian and Romeo? Again, Dobbs' touchdown was nice, but outside of that, the production generally is lacking. Even Dobbs coming up with another 20-yarder doesn't seem above what you would expect from the rookies, the other young players on the roster. They don't, distinguish themselves from the other young players on the roster. And it just seems like they don't always, they don't have a role in the same way that you see Jaden Reed having to find things to do, Luke Musgrave having to find things to do. Um, and you know, on Don Wicks having, um, you know, defined things to do. I will say though, on, on Dobbs, just as a, a bit of a, a comeback to my own point, uh, on Dobbs 20 yarder, I believe it was Dobbs. I think that's the play I'm thinking of. Christian Watson did have a big part in that play because he was running a route to the outside. He drew the corner on that side and the safety downfield with him and gave Romeo Dobbs room to sit underneath his route. Love found him. Big gain. There you go. There is a job. There is a role for Christian Watson. It just seems like in terms of actual production, they don't have a plan for what they want him to do. Think of the kind of routes we saw... You know, Jaden Reed catching the ball in today. Uh, See the things that we've seen Dontavion Wicks do. Wicks is almost always moving across the field some way. Big crossing routes. Last week he had the third and seven conversion where he did some pre-snap cheat motion, um, crossing the formation like that. That seems like it would be a great way to use Christian Watson or just some ways to get him the ball when he's moving? Where's the jet sweep stuff with him from last year? Where's the the end-around stuff from last year? They've run one attempt, I think, with Watson this year, and it didn't go anywhere, but it was an odd sort of play. Where is the stuff that allows Christian Watson to use his speed? They just don't seem interested in giving him that kind of a role. So what does it all mean? Boil it down to two words. More data. That's what it comes down to. After a game like this, after 10 weeks of football, we have more data to work with which to evaluate things. That is the ultimate point of this season at this point. The postseason run is a, is a pipe dream. We just are looking for data to evaluate things. We're also getting to the point of getting really close to being officially eliminated, which you know, happens to the best of us from time to time. But right now, we'd have to go 6-2 and two to get to 9-8 and eight for the season. That seems like a pretty tall mountain for this particular Packers cl- team to climb. The Vikings have gone on a run. Maybe it's possible for the Packers to do something like that, too. It just doesn't seem super likely at this point. So up next is two more games over the next essentially 10 days or so. This kicked off a series of, what, three games in 11 days, depending how you count. We're at home against the Chargers next Sunday. The Packers are wearing their throwbacks. Hopefully we see, you know, like 1959 football, though those would be different throwback uniforms um, rather than early 1950s throwback football. Still pretty good looking set. I'm excited to see them against the Chargers who always look good too. Then we've got the Lions on Thanksgiving. Um, I'm planning on stocking up on my favorite Thanksgiving foods that day more than paying super in-depth attention to what the Packers are doing because it seems fairly certain like that is going to be a disappointment if we're counting on the Packers to save Thanksgiving. Rookies. The rookies were fairly inconspicuous today on defense and pretty good overall on offense. Lucas Van Ness finished the day with three tackles, one for a loss, which is pretty solid. Would like to see a little bit more in terms of pass rush juice from him, but baby steps, I guess. Luke Musgrave, two catches for 64 yards. Another good day for him. They are finding interesting ways to get him involved. Jaden Reed, five catches, 84 yards, one touchdown. He is functionally the first wide receiver one in Green Bay right now. He's the first Packers catcher this season, over 400 yards. Pretty solid rookie season for him, I would say. Tucker Craft had a whopping three targets today, just the second game in which he has received a target. One catch for six yards, though, wasn't doing a whole lot with it. He seems to be coming along a little bit more slowly than Luke Musgrave, which I think was basically the expectation for him this season. Golby Wooden did not record a stat today in jumping down to the sixth round, neither did his defensive line counterpart, counterpart. Carl Brooks, and that kind of gives you a peek into the way the Packers' defensive front played today. Jumping back up, Sean Clifford a DNP today. That's right where we want you, Sean. Keep doing a great, work, great job there. Uh, Dontavian Wicks, three catches, fifty-one yards. Anders Carlson, not your fault, man. Two for two on field goals, but the blocked point after touchdown there, not his fault. I do wonder about, and, and maybe Matt Lafleur spoke about this post game. I did not get a chance to listen to his remarks. Uh, but had one kickoff that went out of bounds and one kickoff that came darn close. We're going to need some clarification for, on that from Rich Bisacci. It looked like they were trying to kick to that corner specifically. It just went wrong one of those two times and came really close to going wrong the other time. Whose fault was that? We may have to see here over the course of this week. Carrington Valentine, two cackles, conspicuous in how little he seemed to be target targeted. Anthony Johnson Jr. finished the day with one assist. Malik Heath was active but had no targets. Interestingly, Heath was active. Samori Touré was not. Depth chart watchers make a note of that one. Emmanuel Wilson was active but had no stats on offense, and Brenton Cox was inactive for today. Let's clear out the notebook with a few random observations, then send you on your way. Uniform-wise, solid looking afternoon classic, classic matchup Packers in their road whites against the Steelers throwbacks in black. The look overall, I mean, the colors are great. The throwbacks themselves don't do a whole lot for me. I know that the block letters are super meaningful or block numbers, I guess, block lettering rather than the italic sans serif font that they usually have on their uniforms. Now, I know those are super meaningful to some people in Pittsburgh As far as throwbacks go, just boring as heck. Like, why even bother at that point? And they had the the beautifully hideous bumblebee throwbacks a few years back. At least those were interesting. At least those were different. These are just your current uniforms with different numbers and no logo on your your helmet. Not that exciting. Why not go for a a substantially different look if you're going to do a throwback or alternate uniform? That's just the way the Pittsburgh Steelers are, I guess. I wanted to talk about three absences just in passing. First, Quay Walker, inactive today with that groin injury. In the offseason, we talked about evaluating defensive players, kind of like astronomers talk about stars. You kind of have to look for what isn't there. How are they affecting the gravity of things around them? Today, we have a data point where the Packers had a big rushing game, or their Packers opponents had a big rushing game without Quay Walker out there. Now, the run defense was good without him there last week. Now we have multiple data points. What does Quay Walker's absence look like? It seems unclear, but I think it's something we at least need to be talking about and and conscious of. Sean Ryan, meanwhile, was healthy but didn't play. And I think there needs to be a point where we talk about Sean Ryan getting some kind of look-and-see reps over, say, John Runyon. I think there's a pretty good chance that John Runyon is going to be here next year. If nothing else, Sean Ryan is going to be under contract might as well get a look here at some point you seem to prefer him to Royce Newman why not see how he shakes out in some longer term exposure over a guy like John Runyon? finally yash nyman i know he was uh, he wasn't on the inactive list today uh, but he was injured and was dealing with some some back stuff and well, that was why he or maybe a calf injury i'm not sure he had something at the end of the the game last week which is why he came out how does his absence affect the offensive line? How would things look different with Josh Nyman out there? It seems like that's a question we've been asking in some form since the twenty twenty one playoffs or the, the twenty twenty playoffs. Uh, how do things look different with Josh Nyman out there? Um, you know, the, the offensive line only gave up one sack today or or Jordan Love only took one sack today, put it that way. Would things be different in a meaningful respect with Josh Nyman out there? I don't know. As with a lot of this episode, I'm asking questions that I don't have the answers to, but I think they are interesting questions. Packers had a weird day on third and long. Weirdly, the Packers were pretty good in third and long today. Overall, four four of eight in the game on third and seven plus. At one point, they were three of five on third and seven or more plays. Romeo Dobbs' touchdown was on third and seven. Uh, Jaden Reed's touchdown was on a third and 16. Luke Musgrave's 36-yard catch up the seam was on a third and seven. Is that an arbitrary distinction? A little bit, but still overall pretty good about getting yourself out of long, third and long situations. However, they had two bad or weird plays, I thought. Uh, They had a third and nine on the Packers' second drive, and Christian Watson ended up dropping a pass short of the sticks. I know that a lot goes into play design. I know that there was probably a reason that he's running that route at that depth at that particular time. However, on third and nine, it's still weird and irritating for me to see a guy running a route where he's going to end up three yards short of the first down, even if he catches the ball. And Watson didn't, kind of rendering it a moot point. But still, it's something that bothers me. Then on a third and 11 later in the game, the Packers tried their third double pass or throwback pass of the season. This one, like the one they tried with Emmanuel Wilson and Jordan Love earlier in the season, also did not work. You've got Jordan Love throwing it to the left to Dontavian Wicks, who was hucking it all the way back across the field to Aaron Jones. And Jones just dropped it. I don't know if he'd have made it. He seemed to have a long way to go 11 yards. Uh, Charles Davis on the broadcast seemed to think he would make it. It's hard to say he did have blockers out in front of him. I do know this dropping it reduced the chances of making it to zero. So another weird play where the Packers have everything going on out there and end up getting nothing. How about getting things in big chunks? We'll end on something positive here. Jaden Reed, after two explosive plays today, now has nine on the year. An explosive play in in this category is a run of at least 12 yards or a reception of at least 16 yards. He has nine such plays on the year so far. For comparison, Christian Watson had 12 as a rookie. Romeo Dobbs had 10, as did Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Devontae Adams, all the way back in 2014, had nine. Jordy Nelson, as a rookie, had four. James Jones had 15, and so did Greg Jennings. Reed, on pace, well, already surpassing some players and so far this season, but on pace to be among some of the best rookie receivers the Packers had, at least in terms of generating chunk plays. Again, overall, not the result I would have liked to see. Would love to see the Packers get a win in a situation like this, but we're looking for data. We're evaluating this team If nothing else, we got more data to look at as far as how this team is coming together. And it seems like they are edging toward a more coherent vision on offense. It's a small step. Hopefully it leads to bigger ones in the future as the Packers look to 2024 and beyond. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think will enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.